Uh, we're in Matthew 7, so take out your Bibles to Matthew 7, and we're going to look at verses 15 through 23. So Matthew 7, verses 15 through 23. And I want to start out and ask you a question. What would you say is the biggest problem in the church today? What would you say? So just think about that. What is the biggest problem in the church today? So is it that the church is irrelevant? Or maybe the church is trying too hard to be relevant and putting on some big show. Or maybe the way people treat each other in the church. Or maybe it's the way churches use money or abuse money. Or whatever you're thinking of. And, and here's what I want to tell you. Most likely, what you think is the biggest problem is not what our text seems to think the biggest problem the biggest problem today for the church are preachers. People like me. Well, I hope not like me. Specifically, false preachers or false prophets. So, the, the problem with these false teachers or fa false prophets is what we're going to say they lack spine or they lack heart. So when I say spine, I mean that they're not telling you the full truth. And when they lack heart, I mean to say that they're not telling you about the grace of God. Both of those need to be lifted up high. And the problem is we see too many of too many times this isn't happening. So what we've been seeing Jesus do all the way through our sermon series we're in and Words from the Mountain is Jesus is continually calling out hypocrites. And a false teacher is the greatest of all hypocrites, the king of all hypocrites. So this word hypocrite, in Greek, the word comes from actors who wear many masks in a play. And the false preacher wears the Christian mask, though is not one. Or perhaps, if I could be less harsh and say that there are preachers who've been impacted by these false teachers, and they are unfortunately bringing you things that are spineless or heartless. So, um, the question is though, why does this actually matter to you? And the answer is, because according to Jesus, these people are everywhere, they are very likable people often, and they draw a crowd, and there's a lot of them. Uh, and they're like a wolf in sheep's clothing ready to devour you. So it's a pretty big deal, and I promise you that you have been affected by these wolves. Uh, you've been bitten, and many of you have scars today from them, and it is messing with your relationship with God. It's messing with your relationship with people around you. You have wounds from false teachers. I promise you that it has happened, and it is messing you all up. And so what I want you to do is think of Christianity like this big mountain. And this mountain has been built by the truth of Christianity. Now, what's happened today, especially today, are there? there's all of these false truths that have been put on top of this mountain. They're half-truths about what Christianity is. And so today, we're going to spend a lot of time pulling off a lot of these half-truths or this trash that has been put on the top of this mountain so we can get to what Christianity actually is. And many of you are still bleeding today from being bitten by wolves, and we want you to be healed, and we want to also avoid you getting bitten again. So, that's what we're doing today. Matthew 7, 14 through 23. Let me read it to you. 
For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear good fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, <laughs> there was thunder right when I read that. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Now, verse 14 talks about the narrow gate and how difficult it is to walk down it and enter it, but that narrow gate leads to life. Now, what false preachers do is they take you in the exact opposite direction, and they take you down this broad gate. Now, if you remember from last week, the big twist is that this broad gate actually will lead to narrowness. So when, when you think of narrowness, you think of destruction. So the broad gate, it says, leads to destruction. Now, what does it mean to be destroyed? It means to be completely narrow. But the twist is that when you enter the narrow gate, it leads to life, which means it gets broad. It's life as it's meant to be. It's wide open spaces. So when our verses say that those who find the narrow gate are few, it's not to say that it's talking about numbers, but it's talking about the the. The, the basic direction that people go into. In other words, someone has broken the pattern of normal life when they go down the narrow gate. So the normal trajectory is the broad gate. But the way of Jesus is basically a bunch of rebels who have broken away from the pattern. Now, here's how we know that it's not about the number, but about the change of direction. Matthew 20, 28 says Jesus came to die to give his life for ransom for many. So, he died for many, but here it says not many enter the narrow gate. So it's actually talking about our normal trajectory of life. And these false teachers, they try to keep you going down the broad gate and doing what the, here's how they do it. They do what the Bible calls tickle the ears, meaning... They tell you what you want to hear. They are the pop preachers of the day telling you things that you want to hear. They know the culture very well. Maybe they're a bit cool. Maybe they wear some, maybe they wear skinny jeans. Louder, talk louder, okay. So maybe they're wearing some skinny jeans. Uh, well, maybe that's not really what it is about. Here's what, here's what the false preachers of the day do. I'm gonna get a little closer to you so you can hear me. They read the culture really well. And as they read the culture really well, instead of telling the culture what they need to hear, they tell the culture what they want to hear. They avoid the truth, and so according to Jesus, they are wolves. And they are absolutely everywhere, and they are ready to eat you up. So here's what should terrify you. In the Old Testament, 
the bad prophets or the false prophets always outnumbered the good ones. So, to put to put put it simply, a false prophet is some. So, a prophet is someone who brings God's word to God's people. So, a false prophet. Here's the key: they bring half truths. So it says that they are wolves, but they are dressed in sheep's clothing, which means they're saying things that are half right. They read something, they say something to you, and it seems true, only it's a half truth. It's not the full truth. So this false preacher is the king of hypocrites because they're the greatest actors of all time by giving us false truths, having the appearance of authenticity, but not authentic at all. And at the end of their life, Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. That's what verses 21 through 23 are about. They have gone to the broad gate and led people with them to destruction. There's a story in the Old Testament about a king named Ahab. And Ahab, there's a prophet that Ahab hates. And Ahab hates this prophet because this prophet keeps telling Ahab the truth. Now, there are all of these other prophets that are surrounding Ahab, and Ahab loves these prophets, but they are only telling him what he wants to hear. And in the end, because of it, Ahab dies because he's listening to the false prophets, but he had to do it. He wanted to surround himself with the people who told him everything that he wanted to hear. So a statistic recently came out that said, and this is shocking, but only about 2% of churches are actually preaching the gospel. The word gospel means good news. It means awesome news. It means this is the greatest news you've ever heard type of news. Now, the question would be, well, why then are these, are these false preachers not preaching this news? Because if it's so good, everybody ought to want to hear it. And here's why. Because the good news something comes before it. It's the bad news. It's the news of what you're being saved from. The news is only good because you have seen how bad the situation that you are in is. So the equation is this. Bad news plus good news equals joy. And if you're lacking joy in your life, it's likely because you haven't seen and understood the bad news and haven't also at the same time seen and understood the good news to understand what you're being saved from. Now here's the question also we need to ask. Why is the bad news not talked about? And here's the answer that I believe it is. Because of the demands upon the preacher from the people. So Ahab, this king, only wanted to hear the good stuff. So he ran the good prophet out of his life and brought in all of these false prophets or bad prophets. So what I want you to really listen in to is that the reason that there are so few preachers who are doing preaching what needs to be said are because of the demands from the people upon the preacher. The same way that that king rejected all that came in kings before him and after him were rejecting the true prophet because he wanted to hear what he wanted to hear, we've got to realize that there's a pretty good chance that we're doing the same thing. 
People will say if a preacher tells you bad news, then he's narrow-minded. He is irrelevant, he's judgmental, and he's not up with the times. Because here's what we want. We want an inspirational message. Not all doom and gloom. Now, I will say some people love doom and gloom, but they do not like doom and gloom when it's pointed at them personally. So my point is that the pattern of the Broadgate people, they're waiting for someone to tell them what they want to hear. But the pattern of those who, well, the, those who have broken the pattern, the normal pattern, have listened to those who have told them the truth, and it's not necessarily what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. And my guess is that there are, well, we need to really be honest and say, if this was true, that there were mostly f false preachers in the Old Testament, and a select few were the right preachers, the right prophets, then we've really got to take an assessment of ourselves and say, are we really ready to hear what God would have us hear? Or are we just looking for what we want to hear? And I, and I hope you see how serious this is. So how do we know who to listen to? Well, our next point is spotting the wolf, and Jesus tells us just how to do that. So we're going to look at first spotting the wolf by the words, and spotting the wolves by their life. So first, their words. So Jesus moves from talking about wolves to talking about fruit and trees. So these false prophets are unhealthy trees that produce bad fruit. And it's not that they aren't producing fruit. So you take a, a false preacher. It just so happens to be they're a preacher. And so what are they doing? Well, they're opening up the Bible. Despite the preacher, good things are happening because, well, someone's reading the Bible because they're opening it up. However, the question here becomes this. There's a debate, actually, about this word fruit. And the word fruit, does it mean words or life? Well, I've already told you that it's both. And the reason it's both is because you can't separate the preacher's words from his life. There's a disconnect if they aren't together. So, look, look first at the words. And what I want to do is say, here are the five most common type of false preachers today. The five that you have likely encountered these, and they're likely messing with your life. So here they are. The first one is the try-hard preacher. Second is the legalist preacher. The third is the antinomian. And the fourth is the miracle worker. And the fifth is the inspirer. Now, I want you to listen closely right now, because it's likely one of these five have messed with your understanding of God, and it's messing you all up. And, and again, the problem with each of these is they are speaking a half-truth. They are wolves dressed like sheep, so they have the appearance of authenticity, though they aren't. So, the first one, the try-hard. This is the preacher that makes you feel like good people are going to heaven, bad people are going to hell, and you're one of the good ones because you're trying to hard. Now, it, it actually simply isn't true. There are, there are people who go down the broad gate, and the people going down the broad gate are, are bad people. The people going the, down the narrow gate are also bad people. They simply have just found the grace of God, and that has changed everything for them. So these preachers will make you feel like you don't need a savior. 
that what you simply need to do is try hard. Now here's how I know this is a major problem today. Because when most of the people I talk to, when they say, yes, I'm a Christian, they'll say, yes, of course I'm a Christian. God knows that I'm trying very hard to be good, and he's honoring that, that I'm trying very hard to be good. So they will say, good people go to heaven, bad people go to hell, and no one is perfect, so as long as God knows that I'm trying hard, he's going to forgive me. So I want to show you this, this ladder here, and a lot of you have seen this. So on this side it says, uh, God is up here, we're down here. And the try-hard preacher says, try hard to be good enough so you can get up to God. And as long as God knows you're trying, you're good to go. But the gospel or Christianity says, actually, this doesn't work. So you need God to come down to you, to die on the cross in your place for your sins, and in the resurrection, lift you up to God. Now, this has been incredibly helpful for people in understanding and clarifying Christianity. And that's how I know that there's a problem today with preachers. Because if people are saying, I never knew that about Christianity, that means that this isn't actually being talked about. So that's the first type. Second type is the legalist. <laughs> this type of preacher will make you feel like you are destined for hell. And the only thing that you can do about it is to change everything about your behavior. You better shape it up or else you're, you're done for. And, and some, some of you are saying, well, wait, that, isn't that right? Like, we need to change? And the answer is no. It's only half right. The way that we are changed is by grace alone. Our gra the grace of God strengthens us to become who we're made to be. So the legalist preacher says, you better shape it up, and if you don't, well, you're done for. So they are scaring you into behavior modification versus telling you about the irresistible grace of God and letting the irresistible grace of God change you. So people who've been affected by this preacher will say things like, I can't go to church. If I did, I'd probably just burn up. You hear this all the time. So that's the second type. Third type is the antinomian. Now this type of preacher will tell you the bad news and the good news, but they're only telling you part of the good news. They're telling you about forgiveness, but they're not telling you about the new life that you've been called to live. So the good news is that you have a new heart now. And that new heart has given you new desires to now live the way that God's called you to live. It doesn't mean that you're going to stop sinning, but it simply means that the preacher ought to tell you, this is what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes. We ought to try to bring the kingdom of God through the way that we live and by serving others. So they will call you to live that way and then say, look, here's what you need to do. Be strengthened by the grace of Christ. That is good. But the antinomian preacher just says, you're forgiven. Just sit here and let's wait until, I don't know, Jesus comes back or something. So while the try-hard and the legalist preacher tell you that you're saved by your works, the antinomian preacher says you're saved by grace, but they never call you into a new life. We've got to press on to become who we're made to become. That's the third type. The fourth type, the miracle worker. Now, the Bible is filled with miracles. I believe in them, though I've never experienced one happen to me or seen one in my presence. But I believe that miracles happen. Now, there are preachers 
who will say, come to my church or come watch this show. I'm about to perform all of these miracles. Be wary of these preachers. They are trying to draw a crowd by claiming miracles under their hand. Uh, they have been exposed pretty much over and over and over again by these TV preachers. Um, and I want to say this too. Miracles in the Bible are not always the work of God. And that should give us some concern. Not that miracles can't happen, but we need to be careful. And here's the fifth type. And these are the ultimate ear tickler. These, this is the inspiring preacher, the inspirer. Not that you preacher shouldn't be inspiring. So you will leave here sitting under the teaching of the inspiring preacher with your ear being tickled, meaning you never hear anything offensive, but only the good stuff. God is good. He loves you. He has this beautiful life and plan in store for you. And you need to just trust God that he's going to give you the good life. And if it's not happening right now, then it means God is up to something. All of what I just said is true, but it's only half true. The bad news has been left out. Never mentioned. The justice of God, the wrath of God, hell is never talked about. God being a God who disciplines those that he loves. So if you've ever read through the Bible and you've read through the prophets, the prophets are a tough read. Not because they're boring, but because there's a whole bunch of bad news there. They're hard to read. And the thing is, you need to know that there is bad news. Because you need to know what you are being saved from. You need to know that if you... Here, here's what happens. If you don't have the bad news talked about, then what ends up happening is you have a very small God, a graceless God, and a, a God not of love. So let me show you. Let's go to the next slide. So here is the love of God increases and the justice of God increases. So as you understand better the justice of God, the wrath of God, you actually understand the love of God more because you understand that if God is going to satisfy his justice and his wrath for sin, then we have a God who it will cost him a lot. Meaning, the cost it was for Christ to save you from justice and wrath that's coming, Jesus takes it all, which means now you have a big Savior. So, actually, if you decrease the love, or if you decrease the justice of God, you actually decrease the love of God. Because if you have a God that's like, eh, sin, mm, then it doesn't really cost them much. So the greater you understand justice, the greater you actually understand love, and therefore, the greater and the more you want to actually worship God. This does not produce worshipers of God. This produces people who are like, yeah, God's good. This produces people who say, I have the greatest God that I, I can't even describe how wonderful he is and what he has done to rescue me. So the greater you understand the problem of your sin, the greater you understand the love of God. And that is what is truly inspiring. Not a feel-good message, but a story of tragedy that is turned to, into a story of redemption and restoration. There's a movie, the Lego movie. If you've never seen it, I'll tell you real quick what happens. There's a song that's written, I think, by the leaders of this 
evil leaders, these evil leaders. But the song goes like this, everything is awesome. And they're covering up this massive secret that everything isn't awesome. And that is what false preachers are doing. They're telling you everything is awesome when it is not. And you can spot them not only by their words, but by their life. I'm not saying that a preacher is perfect. I certainly am not. The actually, you should know by listening to the preacher that they aren't perfect because they are telling you about their imperfections and telling you that what they need to do along with everybody else is turn back to God for forgiveness. But here's what their life does look like. The false preacher. Their life looks like a lust for power and a chasing after the goddess of success. So one or the other. So the false preacher doesn't know Christ, as we saw from verses 21 through 25. But here's what also could happen to the false preacher. They could fall under the teaching of some great preacher that everyone's listening to except they're a false preacher. And they start falling under the, this wrong pattern of preaching. So let me just, I want to walk you through what happens. Because it happens in churches a lot. Let's say there's a leader that's coming up. Like somebody just starts coming to the church. They so, show great leadership. And so someone says, we need to make them a leader. Now this is, great leaders are a gift, but they're also dangerous. Because here's what happens in churches. Someone sees someone have some talent for leadership, and they say, let me, let, come on, you need, to be, you need to be leading something. When they're not really actually sure if they're a Christian, they're just assuming it because they're in the church. Also, uh, what, what, here's, what, here's what happens. Usually people who are good leaders... They're good leaders for, for two reasons. One, they like the idea of having power, and they like the idea of being successful, one or the other. And so they've become gifted in leadership so they can get power and so they can get success. They're driven by these things. They want the God of success and the God of power to come to them. And so they have actually found themselves, what happens is we find them using the church in order to get to the God they really love, which is power or success. So here's the image I, I want you to have. There's a wolf, and the wolf wants power or success. And the wolf stands at the broad gate, calling all the sheep to come and enter in the broad gate. And as soon as they start entering in the broad gate, this wolf, dressed in sheep's clothing, starts pushing them down this broad gate. Now remember what happens. The broad gate leads to narrowness, to destruction. So at some point, they keep going down this road, pushing the sheep down this road, and then the wolf has cornered the sheep. They have nowhere to go. And so the sheep turn to see the wolf ready to devour them, eats them up. Now what does it mean, practically speaking, for a false preacher to eat you up, to devour you, this wolf? Well, if the false preacher wants power, then they've got the people cornered. And they begin to be very domineering in their leadership, very controlling in their leadership, because they want people submitting to them, and it feels good for them. They're getting the power that they are lusting for. And so they end up devouring the sheep that way. The successful, the, the false preacher that wants to be successful does this. They say, come on, tell me what you want to hear, world. I'll tell it to you, and when I tell it to you, you're going to come flocking to me. And then I'm going to have the success that I so desperately want to have. Let's build this church into something amazing. And we can have all the success we want. But really, they're not chasing God. They're chasing the goddess of success. Now, 
I would like to call a warning to us all here. Because if there are these false prophets that appear to be Christians but aren't, and there's apparently a lot of them in the Old Testament all the way through, then I think we need to take some warnings here and ask ourselves, have we really gone all in with Christ? I'm not trying to get you to doubt your salvation here. I'm trying to get you to do what 2 Peter 1.10 says, to make your calling and your election sure. Meaning this, so, so Peter goes on and he says, let's look at your fruits. Let's look at the fruit of your life. Are you changed because of this great news that you have heard? And it's, it's not to get you to say, because some of you right now are struggling with sin. You're a Christian and you're struggling with sin and you can't stop. And you need to stop, but you can't stop it. And you know you should stop, but you can't. And you keep going to God for forgiveness and saying, God, please like help me change, but it's not happening. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is you look at your sin, have you looked at it, and realized that you need a Savior and gone running to Christ for forgiveness. Because if you have, slowly over time, you will begin to see fruit in your life, change in your life. But you've got to go to Christ. And so what I want to do right now is take you right to Him. In fact, if I finished this sermon and didn't take you to Him, then I would be false in my preaching. If you ever sit under the teaching of a preacher and they have not taken you to the excellencies of Christ, then they have failed to do their job. Shame on them. And if I've ever done that, shame on me for doing that. And by the way, you, here's how you know. You should always be asking, questioning me. And how do, how do you test what I say? You go to the Bible and you read the Bible and you see what it says. And if I ever say something that goes against what Scripture says, I am wrong. Scripture is right. Always. But... Here's what we got to do. We got to go to Christ. And so, if you've never gone to Him, let me take you to Him for the first time. And if you have gone to Him, let me take you to Him, your shepherd, who guards your heart against false teaching. At the gate, the narrow gate, the true shepherd stands for you. And any good preacher is, is like a sheep, functioning like a shepherd by pointing all the sheep to the great shepherd who is Christ, who stands at the narrow gate ready to welcome all who want to enter in through him. And here's what he does. Here's what the great shepherd has done. He has given himself over to the wolves. He's given himself over to the false teachers, the false preachers, the false prophets of the day, and he's been killed by them. And not only that, he goes to the ultimate of wolves. He goes to, he, he, to sin, to death, to hell, and to Satan for you. Here's what I mean. Our great shepherd, though he knew no sin, became sin and suffered for our sake. The great shepherd came into death, though he is life, to destroy it. And he was drugged to the gates of hell to face off the ultimate adversary, Satan. And he did it all and tricked all of these wolves so that he can take them, bind them up, imprison them so we can be free from sin, death, hell, and Satan. That is our good shepherd. 
and we must always go to him. And that is the job of the preacher, and that is, if it never, if, if any time that is not done, go to him yourself. Don't let anyone stop you from going to him. He is the good shepherd. Find your way to him, and he will take you down the narrow gate that opens up into life. Let me pray for us. God, I do pray that if there was anything said today that I said that was wrong, that you would remove that from people's ears and hearts. I pray, God, that we would find you because you came and sought us out and found us first. Be a shepherd to us and guard our hearts from anything that is false. We pray this in Jesus' name.